Well, welcome back. Um, if you're just now joining us, my name is Frankie Garcia. I'm an intern here at, Presbyter- uh, at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. And I would like to, um, to mention that we are in the life of Abraham still. Uh, we are continuing in our series uh, on Genesis, starting in Genesis 12, going on into chapter 20-something. Today, we're in Genesis 18. Now, you can follow along in your online copy of the bulletin or if you're in your Bible if you have one. So let's jump in. Genesis 18, verses 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him, being Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went and quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Thus far the word of God. Um, last year, Elena and I made a big mistake. We got sucked into watching the hit 2000s television show Lost. Now, Lost is a fantasy-slash-drama. It tells the story of a group of people who crash land on a tropical island. But even though the show, it takes itself super seriously, it's a drama, uh, nonetheless, the plot is, is absolutely ridiculous. And it becomes increasingly outlandish with every cliffhanger. So after they crash land, then they encounter a polar bear on the tropical island, and then there's this strange monster made out of black smoke. Then they, they find a bunker, and then they blow up the bunker, and inside uh, there's a computer, and every 108 minutes you have to type in a code in the computer or the world's going to end. And it's, it's just outlandish. Uh, and, and we were hoping that the writers were going to somehow wrap up this story in a satisfying way, where all the mysteries would be solved and everything made sense. Because that's what writers are supposed to do. But alas, 
after six seasons and a horrible finale, uh, we were just left disappointed. Most of the show's mysteries, they were left unsolved. We, we had more questions after the finale than we had before it. It was a mess. Now, we are somewhere around season four in the life of Abraham and Sarah. God's promises to them, they just keep getting more and more outlandish. So what do I mean? Well, we go back to chapter 12 in Genesis, like that, maybe that's season one, and God makes a covenant with Abraham. That, that is, he makes a promise with Abraham, and he promises him something kind of crazy. He promises him a child, a child who would ultimately bring about blessing on earth, like a restorative sort of blessing on a cursed world. But it is outlandish because Abraham, he's 75 years old. You know how old Sarah is? She's 65 years old, and God promises her a child. So then time goes on. Uh, They wait. Ten years go by. We're around season three or so in their life. And Sarah tells Abraham, uh, look, Abe, I'm getting older, I'm 75 years old now, why don't we try to have this promised child through my servant Hagar? So they do, they get Ishmael, they love Ishmael, or at least Abraham does, but God appears again, he says, no, no, no. Uh, Sarah will be the one who has the promised child. And then again in chapter 17 that Ben preached on last week, God shows up again uh, 13 years after. Abraham is 99 years old at this point. Sarah is 89 years old. And God promises them this child again. Abraham laughs. It's outlandish. But as a sign of faith, God asks Abraham to take a knife to his foreskin. And, And miraculously, Abraham does it. But the life of faith for Abraham and Sarah, it's full of waiting. Waiting long years for God to answer his outlandish promises, to bring about blessing on this world, to make this world that we live in pleasurable again, as it was supposed to be. And all who put their faith in God, in Jesus, as as Christians, all of us, we're in very similar positions to Abraham and Sarah because we wait. God has promised salvation to his people. He has promised delight. He has promised a resurrection for everybody who trusts in Jesus, who puts their faith in him. And as outlandish and otherworldly as these promises are, We hope that God's going to do it. We hope that this is not just another lost scenario where where God can't wrap up the story the way he promised to. So can God fulfill his promises? Yes. God thinks so. Look at verse 14 in today's text. He asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. If he makes a promise, he'll keep it. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Therefore, in light of that, let us learn this morning to trust the Lord. Let us be encouraged to trust the Lord that he'll keep his promises. Now, we'll explore this under three headings today. First, you can't trust what you see. Second, you can't trust yourself. Third, you can only trust the Lord. So first, you can't trust what you see. That is... 
You can't trust that what you see with your eyes in this life is all that there is. Now, the Bible tells us that faith, it's believing in things that you can't see. It's, it's a hope and a waiting for things to come true. But we'll find that this is not an easy thing. It's something that the Lord needs to encourage us to have faith, as he encouraged Abraham and Sarah. And I think that's what's going on in the first eight verses of today's text. He's giving some reasons to have faith in this, to not trust what we see. See, God's visit to Abraham is a little out of the ordinary. So how does, how does God normally show up in, in scriptures? Well, he normally shows up in dreams, in visions, maybe as a flaming torch or a, a smoking cauldron if we went back to Genesis 15, or, or maybe as a burning bush as he appears in Exodus 3 with, with Moses. But here, we see God showing up with his angels, and they look like people. They come almost in the form of, of humans. In, in verse 2, we see that Abraham is sitting in the tent taking a siesta, and then he looks up and he sees three, quote, men. Now, we the reader, we've read verse 1, and we know that it's actually God. But it's not clear whether or not Abraham gets it, because he treats them like any other guests. So he hops up and he runs to them. Now, let's stop here for a second, because some of you may, may be aware that it's, it's pretty uncommon for an ancient Near Eastern Lord to hitch up his robe and, and go running towards somebody. Uh, but, but he does. But not only that, uh, keep in mind that Genesis 18 comes right on the heels of Genesis 17, where Abraham uh, re- receives the, the commandment from God to, to be circumcised. So Abraham could be freshly circumcised, and he's jumping up and he's running towards these guests. Like, this is over-the-top hospitality. He convinces them to come, sit down, get washed up, and, and look at verse 5. He wants them to enjoy a morsel of bread to refresh themselves. Looks, looks like he thinks that they're people. Then he yells to Sarah in the tent, hey, start baking. He goes, he slaughters a juicy young calf. And then he stands back as his mysterious guests, these travelers, that they sit under the tree and they enjoy their shawarma and their flatbread and their yogurt. But nothing about this visit seems supernatural. Not to the eyes. You can't just look at it and tell what's going on. And so what I think we're supposed to do with this text is to realize that the world is not always as it seems. Sometimes, right underneath the robes and the wrinkles and the the dirty feet, there is a divine God breaking in, doing something, active in this place. And as we see in this text, here he's coming to encourage Abraham and Sarah. So, How do we therefore live our lives in light of this text? Well, I guess we could take a tip from Abraham and be a good host. The book of Hebrews tells us that uh, we should be good hosts because uh, sometimes people have entertained angels unaware, uh, just as Abraham does here. But there's a bigger principle for us to consider. And it's that you you can't trust that what you see with your eyes is all that there is. You can't trust what you see. Now, some do, or at least they try to. Recently, I was listening to this interview of a, uh, like a martial arts sort of guy. I don't remember exactly what sort of martial arts he does, but, but he's, a, he's in Quebec. 
And he was talking about he and his wife. They have a very bizarre agreement. If one of them were to die, then the other one would ensure that they also died very quickly afterwards. Because they simply couldn't bear the thought of living without the other. And, and, and something interesting about this agreement is it stands whether or not they have kids. And so, so he says in the interview that, that he wouldn't care what happens after death because he'll be dead. And if he's dead, then he won't exist. And you can't care if you, if you don't exist, right? So you can imagine the online comments. People are asking, like, how could he be so selfish? Like, what about the children? How could they give up hope like that? But if this material world around us that we can see, if that's really all that there is, then what reason do we have to say that they are wrong to make such an agreement? I mean, sure, we can disagree, but I mean, if if they don't care, there's really nothing we can do about it. But if there really is a God behind all the dust and wrinkles of this life, if there really is a spiritual reality, then we have reasons to hope. We have a reason to persevere even whenever life seems unbearable. We don't have to simply cope with our pain in this world, but we can actually hope that God will make things right. Now, this past week, there was an atheist organization in Kenya. Maybe you heard about this. It was making its way around Facebook. This atheist organization in Kenya, they made an announcement that one of its members, actually a secretary for the organization, was stepping down from their role. And the reason, uh, quote, he found Jesus and was no longer interested in supporting atheism in Kenya. He found hope. Now, if you're exploring Christianity this morning, then please consider what it could mean for you if there really is more to life than what you see. So first, you can't trust what you see. Now second, you can't trust yourself. Now, and when I say you can't trust yourself, I'm talking about how you can't trust yourself to bring about like the lasting true delight and pleasure that humans were made for. Because we try, but but we fail at this. Now, we're going to see this in the text in the way that Sarah, she just physically can't bring about the promised child, the the one who's supposed to bring this blessing to earth. She just can't do it. So let's jump back into the story. Uh, Look at verse 9. These mysterious travelers, they, they finally speak again, and they ask Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, don't rush past that, because This is the first time in the scriptures that it's recorded that somebody uses the word Sarah. Not Sarai like she used to be. In Genesis 17, she got renamed by God to be Sarah. And this is the first time that somebody said it. So so you can bet that whenever Abraham heard the traveler say, where is Sarah, your wife? His adrenaline was just burning through his veins because he knew something was up. How could these strangers know her new name? Abraham quickly says, she's in the tent. And sure enough, she was right there in in the opening of the tent, just within earshot of the conversation. So now step into her shoes. Imagine being Sarah. 
And these mysterious travelers, they're talking to your husband, and one of them says this outlandish statement that we see in verse 10. Look at verse 10. They say, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. She laughs. And can you blame her? Like, imagine if you were in the presence of the Queen of England. Could you blame her if, if you said that this time next year she'd have a kid? Like, she'd think you were insane, but could you blame her? No. See, Sarah was far beyond menopause. It was outlandish. But it's not that simple, because God's promises are tied up with this, and Sarah gets that. So let's take a closer look at what she says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. She laughs to herself and says, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, I want to take note of that word pleasure. Because she, she's not talking about the normal pleasures of life here. See, her and Abe, they were, they were rich. She was still good looking. We find out in a couple chapters that there's a king who wants to take her as his wife, and she's 89 years old. Like She had a lot of the basic pleasures of life that most of us think that if we just had those that we'd be happy. No, her word for pleasure here, it's important. In Hebrew, it's edna, pleasure, which you may recognize edna as the word where we get Eden from, the garden of pleasure, from several chapters earlier in Genesis. See, Sarah is asking if pleasure can happen. That long-promised return to God's pleasure, what he keeps promising them, because she has tried, but her womb is just too old to do anything about it. Therefore, let us not degrade this story by simply viewing it as an analogy for our own lives. Like maybe if we just had enough faith, then then we too could get pregnant if we were old. or, Or we could just have our own miracles happen to us. Because that's just not the point. There's a deeper covenantal promise at stake here. And Sarah seems to know what it's about. The restoration of all things a return to Eden, a return to pleasure. Nonetheless, she laughs. This hope is also mixed with doubt, and God hears her laugh. And notice notice what he says after he hears her laugh. He restates what she says, but with a slight variation. Look at verse 13. God says that she asked, not shall I have pleasure, but shall I have a child? God is doubling down on his outlandish promise of a child once again. See, Abraham and Sarah's faith, it's not supposed to be some sort of wishy-washy metaphorical faith where where it turns out that the promised child is actually the the smile from a neighbor or, or the joy at looking at butterflies or something. No, God is very concerned with Sarah's 89-year-old womb. And the beauty of this is that Abraham and Sarah, they actually go along with it. Like, she conceives. Hebrews 11 tells us that she conceived by faith. They were as good as dead, but but she conceived by faith. She actually trusted that God would bring about his promises. 
Not by her own, her own efforts, mind you. Like, like she's tried for 24 years. Yet by faith. This is the kind of faith uh, that, that we need. It's the kind of faith that led Sarah to wait and to wait. Th- though she failed along the way, she still waited. The question for us is, do we have this kind of faith? Because God's covenant promise that, he, that we read about in the New Testament it sounds so much more wonderful than the pleasures we could have in this life. I mean, imagine a world with no more uh, pain, where where he wipes away every tear. Imagine a world where our bodies worked just like they were made to. Like, ever since I have hit 30, I have been longing for a resurrection body. Do we have the faith to wait? Now, some of us are going to feel this waiting more than others. Uh, For the the Christian who is same-sex attracted... God is calling on you to wait because your your true pleasure won't come through a a same-sex romance, but it'll only come through God himself whenever he comes and he restores all things. So, So wait for him. For all of you who are tired of being single and you're just wanting to settle and you're starting to be okay with the thought of marrying an unbeliever, wait, don't do it. We'll talk more about that later for those who have. There is encouragements for those who have. But, but those who do, they're going to find that the marriages that they have, it's not going to give them the, the pleasure that they were seeking. See, don't trust yourself to find pleasure here. It's outlandish to think that we can find pleasure here. I think Jim Carrey says he wishes everybody could be rich and famous just so that they could know that being rich and famous doesn't actually solve their problems. No, let us wait. Let us wait for Jesus' return, that he will restore all things at the resurrection. So you can't trust what you see. You can't trust yourself. No, you can only trust God. That's our third point today. Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? With laser focus, God brings our attention to the very heart of the issue here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, now this is important for us. God continues. And the same mouth that spoke the stars into existence now speaks to Abraham and says, At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I mean, this is, this is the creator God speaking to Abraham and Sarah. And so you can start to see why whenever Sarah realizes this, she gets a little scared. Uh, she tries to deny her laughter. And, and see verse 15. She finally gets who these visitors are, and she's actually terrified. Yeah, how does God respond to this? God graciously and calmly He refuses to let her weasel out of this situation. He he points her back to what she said. He says, no, but you did laugh. He confronts her. God wants Sarah to own her doubt, to confront it, and and not merely deal with her doubts in like a metaphorical sort of way or a theoretical sort of way as if it was just mental propositions and theory. But God wants her to bring her doubts to reality. Because God is standing before her. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
See, when you have doubts about God and his promises, you don't deal with those doubts by just in the realm of theoretical things. No, you, know, you actually deal with them in, in a concrete way, in a real way, because he's a person. God's a person. A person who cares, who wants you to be with him, to, to wrestle with him. Of course, bring your questions to him. But he's not an abstract principle. He's a person. Now, you can talk to him because he's a person. You can pray to him because he's a person. You can actually hear him talk back. This person wrote 66 books that we call a Bible, and he's talking to you. He's wanting to confront every doubt you have. Now, lately, maybe you found that this person of God has been intruding on your life. I mean, some of you didn't realize that you would be here today listening to this word. But here you are. Some of you are dealing with with doubts, and and here you are, face-to-face, with this text, wrestling with God. Is it so outlandish to believe that God may be confronting your doubts this morning the same way that he intruded into Sarah's life and confronted her? But back to the point. God is the only person that we can trust to fix all of this. So take note of how God is clearly unfazed by Sarah's menopause. And see, if anything, uh, now this is a little kind of conf- confusing and strange when you think about it, but if anything, it seems like the more outlandish the scenario is, the better God thinks it is. Now, this is important for us who believe in him because we need to remember that God loves to show his glory in, in outlandish ways. And what do I mean by this? With Sarah... We see that the ancient barren woman gets pregnant. With David, we see that the the youngest son becomes king. The same with Joseph. The youngest one is actually the one who who ends up ruling over them. And and the last become first. And, And Jesus, whenever he actually ushers in the promises of the new covenant, he promises that those who wish to be greatest in the kingdom are actually the ones who become the lowliest, the servants. See, God is all about this outlandish, upside down sort of thing. Therefore, it's very much like God to put his people in very difficult, outlandish situations where victory seems impossible and they have to wait. Now, we don't know what God has decreed, but it could be that that he has decreed that Christianity in the West is going to diminish and that it's going to look like all his lampstands are being snuffed out. It could be that thousands of years roll by and he doesn't return. Some of you were around in the late 60s. You might recall this song by Zager and Evans called In the Year 2525. I remember being struck by this song's lyrics when I first heard it because they sang, In the year 7510, if God's a coming, he ought to make it by then. Maybe he'll look around himself and say, guess it's time for the judgment day. And hearing this song for the first time, I thought, like, God really could wait a long time before he comes back. Like a really long time. Like our sun may, may blow up into a red giant. Humanity could be spread across the stars. Like who knows when he'll come back? But is anything too hard for the Lord? Can he not shelter his people from unreasonable storms and destruction and persecution? 
Of course he can. And as the wheels of time keep turning and humanity's wrinkles get deeper and deeper and our hope, we're tempted to despair. Do not fear. Wait for the promises of God. God is the only one we can trust to make this happen, true pleasure happen. And he has promised to you that this is going to be so. He's promised you that everything's going to be okay. And so Sarah trusts. God gives her a baby in the coming chapters. And actually her laughter in this text, it's redeemed. She's, she's laughing because she's happy and she has this little baby boy and she's joyous. We've already said that the New Testament tells us that she conceived by faith. And so likewise, we ought to walk in that faith. Now, the Apostle Peter, he, he points us back to Sarah's faith in, in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3. And he actually encourages women who are married to unbelievers. And he essentially says to them, is anything too hard for the Lord? God can save their husbands through the faithfulness of the wives, just their their faith in God. And they then become children of of the the true Sarah, Sarah, uh, the mother of their faith. Uh, fearing nothing, Peter says, trusting in God alone. So not in what they see, what they do, or in their own efforts, but actually trusting that God can save their husbands, save their children. That is the faith that God is calling us to. So trust in him in any situation, however long it takes. Be encouraged, because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now we'll close with this. The Gospel of Luke records a story in chapter 24, and it happens after Jesus is raised from the dead. Two of his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were very sad. They were dejected uh, because they thought that Jesus was actually the promised child, uh, the, the Messiah. But they too, just like Abraham and Sarah, they were visited by a mysterious traveler whose identity was not yet obvious. And as this traveler walked with them and ate with them, he explained that God's plan throughout history was to give mankind pleasure through the Messiah. But the Messiah had to wait to pass through death first and then into glory. And as this mysterious traveler, whom we know as Jesus, as he talked to them, their hearts burned within them. Their faith grew stronger. And then they understood that God's promises had come true. Jesus, their God, had visited them to encourage them with the good news of the resurrection. See, through the resurrection of Christ, God has begun restoring this world. He's making a new creation. And just as God gave life to two old people who who the Bible tells us were good as dead, so too has he offered us true life through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Through raising his son from the grave to die no more. So put your trust in him because he keeps his promises. Let's pray. Lord, you are mighty. Nothing is too hard for you. Strengthen our faith that we would trust you in every area of life. Help us to wait, and please come again that we can experience the full power of your resurrection. For you are our highest pleasure. Amen.